Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. I am so angry. I am white-hot angry that this person was released unaccompanied into the community to have a devastating impact. All right, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith. That was the voice of B.C. Premier David Eby speaking yesterday about the Chinatown stabbings. Three people stabbed on Sunday. Why was the suspect released from the Coquitlam Psychiatric Hospital after he stabbed his own daughter to death? After he stabbed another person on an earlier release, then they let him out again. E.B. now promising an independent inquiry into how it happened. Let's discuss now with my guest, the leader of the opposition at the legislature, Kevin Falcon, leader of the BC United. Kevin, thank you for coming on. Well, thanks very much for having me, Mike. Yeah, I appreciate it. Lots to discuss. Let's start with these Chinatown stabbings. E.B. says he's furious here that this has happened. What are your thoughts on this incident and E.B.'s reaction to it? Well, you know, to be honest, uh, like, give me a break. And the reason I say that, Mike, is that look at all the stabbings that have taken place just in the past, I don't know, six months in Vancouver. We've got that horrific case of a, a New Zealand young man, tourist from New Zealand, stabbed by a random stranger and raped in the downtown of Vancouver. We've got the young dad that was stabbed outside of the Starbucks in front of his wife and young child. We've got the 29-year-old man stabbed in Yale Town by a random stranger. We've got the Mexican tourist stabbed, you know, while just trying to order food at a Tim Hortons. And you're yeah. telling me that where was the white hot anger then? And this is just the latest in a series of, of things that have taken place under a very soft on crime premier. And it frustrates the heck out of me. Are you confident that this independent review that he announced yesterday will hold anyone accountable? The understanding that's emerging now is that this release of this man from this institution was pre-approved by the BC Review Board. This is a provincial board that's appointed by the Attorney General. Well, this is that's a very good point, and that's why yesterday I, I tried to be a little bit cautious in my remarks because I wanted to make sure I, I got more information, particularly as I pointed out yesterday, uh, of, of, you know, who the Review Board members are and who appointed them. Well, now I know, uh, it was worth checking out, that they're all NDP appointees. And not surprisingly, oh. they're the ones that made the recommendation that this person should go out on an unescorted day pass. And there, there's got to be accountability to the NDP and David Eby for appointing these folks. And what's he going to do differently to make sure it doesn't happen again? I'm concerned, based on prior uh, reviews that they do, that there's still not going to be a change in policy or direction. Let's, let's have another listen to David Eby speaking yesterday. Here he is talking about the independent inquiry that he announced yesterday. Then I'll get your thoughts. We will ensure that an independent person looks into the specifics of this case, the decision-making process, how we arrived at this awful place. Okay, I want to know who approved this. Like, I'd like to hear some names on who, who exactly approved this and why. Are you confident that this information will come out and then we'll get full disclosure, transparency from the public, and that anyone will be held accountable? Well, I, I certainly hope so. You know, the BC Review uh, Board that he appointed the members to, they make the recommendation. And that then empowers and gives permission to the doctors there to release this individual, Brian Donnelly. 
And, yeah. uh, you know, clearly that recommendation by those NDP appointees was was disastrous. And and I sure hope there's going to be accountability here because, you know, I just it, quite aside, you know, those three individuals who were stabbed, which are going to have trauma for the rest of their lives. Just think of the broader impact in that community. They've worked so hard to try and clean up Chinatown. It's been in chaos given, you know, NDP policies that have put housing filled with people with untreated mental health and addictions and no supports, creating chaos in Chinatown. They've tried hard. Uh, the city has, the police have, the community has to try and clean things up. And here they're having this wonderful event to say, hey, come on out, let's light up Chinatown with this new lighting, et cetera, to attract families. And, and yeah. this kind of thing happens. It's just outrageous. Speaking to BC United leader Kevin Falcon, let's move on to decriminalization of drug possession in British Columbia and the announcement you made yesterday. You would roll this back, is that correct? Absolutely. I think it's it's been a disaster. We've said from the outset when this thing's come out, uh, you know, the NDP promised to do this in 2020. They never brought it to the legislature to even allow a vote on it, which is unfortunate. Uh, even the all-party committee, which is a committee made up of all parties on the health committee, said, look, if you're going to do this, you better have guardrails in place to ensure that there's not going to be open drug use uh, all over the place, that there's going to be education of children, et cetera. They did none of that. And it's frankly been a catastrophe. In virtually every community I go to, all I hear about is the open drug use taking place in our parks, playgrounds, beaches, public spaces. The police have no tool now. The one tool they had was that they could seize the drugs and move people along. Now they can't do that. And frankly, it gets worse because now I'm hearing from police that you've got organized criminals coming to B.C. because of decriminalization, knowing that they can deal drugs with impunity. Okay, your critics are saying that you guys actually supported this idea in principle at the start. Uh, John Rustad, your your former colleague there, now leader of the B.C. Conservative Party, is calling you flip-flop falcon now over this. Didn't you guys, you guys supported this though, right? In principle. Not, no, we did not. What? And what? what uh, Rick, you heard us in the legislature, Mike. I'm sure you were there when, whenever they tried to suggest that, that we would yell and heckle them and just tell them to stop trying to uh, lie about the, the, the fact that right from the outset. What I did say was what the police told me, which is, look, we're not, we're not charging people with small amounts of drugs anyhow. Uh, but the concern they had is it would take away the one tool they have, which is to uh, you know, be able to take the drugs from people that are using it in, in places that are inappropriate. And that's why we said there's got to be the guardrails in place. They refused to put them in yeah. place. I've been calling for that for over six months now, as you well know. And communities yeah. are now having to pass their own bylaws to try and do what the NDP refused to do and just make okay. sure that you can't openly use drugs. Okay, so we have legal possession in British Columbia now, heroin, cocaine, crystal meth, fentanyl. Are, what precisely are you promising here? Are you saying that possession of these drugs should be should be recriminalized? It would be illegal to possess these drugs? Yes, I would go back to where we were before, where the police very rarely charged people for possession of those drugs. But what it did do was allow the police, when somebody is openly using drugs, say in a park or on a playground, that they can seize the drugs from them and kick them out of the area. And the good thing about that is they don't come back because they don't want their drugs to be pulled away from them. So it was a really important tool that the police were able to use. Now they don't have that tool. And the problem is drug dealers who are not, you know, these are not stupid people have figured out, hey, it's great for dealing because you just hide a stash nearby. You make sure you have two and a half grams or less and you just start dealing drugs all over and you don't have to worry about the police at all. I mean, I I just think the, the combination of this coupled with 
the catch and release program that David Eby's been overseeing for the last five years. They're warehousing of people in motels without proper supports uh, and untreated mental health and addiction is just creating chaos in every community in downtown core in every part of the province. All right, lastly, let's uh, just shift to the promised hospital in Surrey. There was a groundbreaking ceremony yesterday with David Eby and the, and the government. The price tag of this new hospital in Surrey has ballooned here more than a billion dollars your thoughts well you know i this is unbelievable look i was responsible back when i was in government over a decade ago for building over 12 billion dollars of infrastructure everything from the canada line launching the evergreen line south fraser perimeter portman bridge as see this guy highway you name it i have never seen such reckless capital decisions being made by a government they that oh it went up over a billion dollars from just a year ago um I don't know. They, they don't have any clue what they're doing. I think the public needs to know this. This is their tax dollars that are being wasted. The couch and hospital, they said it's another project. They said this is going to be one of their so-called community benefit agreements, which translated yeah. means only certain union companies can apply and bid. That limits the pool of bidders. That cost went from $600 million to $1.4 billion and counting. But how they can get to $2.88 billion for 168 rooms, and my quick math is $17 million a room is absolutely staggering. You support it, though. You support the project, though, right? Like, despite the price well, tag. Well, though. yeah, look, I, I, I'm going to support it. If they, as I've always said, if they get started on it, obviously we're going to support it. I think it's ridiculous yeah. in the fastest-growing community in the province. They haven't got a maternity ward. I heard Dick say, well, we've yeah. got one in, you know, at the Peace Arts Hospital. That's the one they tried to close down, by the way, and move it all to Langley. So. I just think that we've got a management and competence challenge here in the province that's really, really costing taxpayers dearly. Thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Talk about the unionization drive that has been happening at Starbucks, and this has been gaining steam for sure. And check out the latest here, baristas, unionized baristas, uh, two Fraser Valley Starbucks have voted to go on strike. On strike over wages and hours of work. Is it the Clayton Heights Starbucks in Surrey? And also the Valley Center Starbucks located in Langley. Yeah, they got a big strike vote there as well. Wow, and there are unionization drives underway at other Starbucks locations as well. The United Steelworkers Union is the union here organizing these workers at Starbucks. Got Scott Lunny standing by to discuss. First, have a listen here to one of the Starbucks union organizers in, in Victoria. This is Sarah Broad. Have a listen. We were just feeling really burnt out and really, like, frustrated. It's people finally realizing their worth and that, like, there's no such thing as unskilled labor. Starbucks is a big company and they're hard to fight and, like, go against, but it's so worth it. Yeah, I know Starbucks is a big, powerful company for sure, and they've been fighting back against these unionization drives. Let's check in with Scott Lunny now from the United Steelworkers Union. Very pleased to welcome him. Scott, thanks a lot for coming on today. Yeah, thank you for having me, Mike. Yeah, you bet. This is very interesting. How many Starbucks locations in Canada have been successfully unionized here now? 
So for uh, for us in the steelworkers, there are 10 locations that have been unionized, uh, eight in, in Western Canada, four in BC, four in Alberta, and uh, just recently two in Ontario have, have uh, unionized. Okay, that's very, very interesting. And uh, have any of these have any of these uh, Starbucks workers been able to successfully negotiate a, a contract with Starbucks? Yeah, we early on we got a collective agreement, a, a contract at the Victoria store where you just had Sarah on there, and yeah. Sarah was one of the folks who helped to organize in Victoria. You know, a few years ago now, a couple of years ago now, uh, and then we just got a contract at a store in Calgary, uh, Calgary Millrise uh, Starbucks store, and we're at the bargaining table. Uh, I think tomorrow, actually, for some stores in uh, in Edmonton and uh, in Sherwood Park uh, to to try and conclude collective agreements there. And uh, like you mentioned, we're uh, we're I think we're close to a collective agreement for the Surrey and the the Langley store. But uh, um, you know what's on the table is is not quite there for the for the for the workers for the uh, baristas, and uh, they voted as you said 91 percent in favor of uh, of strike action. I you know I'm hopeful there's still going to be some talks with uh, with the company and that we'll be able to get a collective agreement. Okay, that's fascinating. Have there ever been a, a strike by unionized baristas at Starbucks before? Uh, you know, in the states, in the U.S., Mike, there's you know there's some strikes, but I, I, I'm not sure. The status of of those strikes, uh, you know, th- there seems to be a, a bit of a different vibe uh, with the organizing efforts in the in the U.S. and and there's trouble uh, getting to the bargaining table. I think with Starbucks mm. in the in the in the United States, whereas you know we're we're in a legal position. You know, we'll, we could be in a legal position to strike at uh, at at the uh, Clayton Heights and Valley Center stores um, under the you know under the rules under the BC Labor Code. Right. Okay. So they have voted 91% to go on strike here at these two Starbucks locations, one in Surrey, one in Langley, as you mentioned. And what would be the next step there? Like when would they actually go on strike? Well, we haven't served strike notice. And and my understanding is that, uh, you know, there's maybe some discussion about uh, uh, seeking mediation. So, um, you know, that that's never a bad thing. uh, If if the parties want to get together with a third party and see if we can come to an agreement, um, you know, without without taking the next steps, but the you know the next step would be strike notice, and then uh, at, at the conclusion of the the notice, um, there's the ability for the for the workers to uh, take strike action. Wow, that's that's amazing. And how difficult is it to unionize a, a Starbucks location? Like we just heard that Sarah Broad there, who was one of the successful people who helped in the drive to unionize in, in Victoria. How difficult is it to do that, especially when you're working with a, a big multinational company? I guess has been resistant to unions in the past. Yeah, you know, I mean, Starbucks has has built themselves a, a bit of a reputation. Uh, you know, they're they're very clear that they're not in necessarily in favor of their workers uh, or of their partners, as they call them, uh, unionizing. But yeah. uh, I, I think it's difficult for all workers to organize. Employers have a lot of. Um, you know, in, in sort of inherent authority and and power in a workplace, and so it, it's a difficult process for all workers to come together and and decide to unionize. Um, you know, I, I think it's a bit more difficult. Our our labor legislation and our system of labor relations wasn't designed for baristas or you know Uber drivers or anything like that. And and you know, I think there's some some challenges with the the system of labor relations we have uh, in terms of you know 
signing everybody up and you know store by store or what have you and 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 that makes it difficult in a in a structure like starbucks where it's a huge corporation with many many thousands of locations yeah. just across canada so yeah for, for sure how much do starbucks workers typically typically make like let's say at a non-unionized starbucks what, what are they making minimum wage or they making more than that how much uh, they're, they they're making a bit a bit more than minimum wage um yeah. you know for example, the the folks in the in the stores we're talking about in Surrey and Langley, I think would would start um, right now at, at seventeen dollars and forty cents, maybe something like that. Uh, a couple bucks more if you're a if you're a supervisor or a lead hand. Um, and so you know you know obviously folks want um, uh, you know want wages. I mean everybody wants to to earn a little bit more, but, um, you know, the, you know, there's other issues, I think in, in these stores, most of the folks that I talk to that are partners at Starbucks, I mean, they, they like their jobs, they work hard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they like the pace of, of working in a Starbucks store. They like the people, uh, they just want to be, uh, recognized for that. They want to, they want, you know, fair compensation for that. They want, uh, it realized that they earn the company a lot of money by doing what they do. Uh, they want their workplaces to be safe. And they want to make sure they have enough, you know, consistency and predictability in their hours that they're going to, you know, if they've been there for a while, they're going to be getting benefits and that they're going to be able to pay the rent, you know. Yeah. Um, my, yeah. Like, I don't know what your drink is, Mike. My drink's an Americana with an extra shot. And, uh, you know, people order all <laughs> sorts of weird stuff at Starbucks. And um, that's great. But, you know, it's also great that the the workers get consistent hours and are able to pay their rent. Speaking of Scott Lunny from the United Steelworkers Union, and we're talking about the unionization drive at Starbucks. Starbucks unionized Starbucks workers in two BC locations just voted to go on strike to back uh, back their contract efforts. So, like, it, so in these two locations where they voted to go on strike, Langley and Surrey, if they're making seventeen dollars and forty cents an hour there, typically. How much would they make under a union contract? Like you mentioned, there's been a successful contract negotiated at a Starbucks location in Victoria. How much do they make there? Well, I, I think it's around the same. I mean, what, what's in dispute really, Mike, is is the future uh, the future wages, the wages going forward. How much will would be increased uh, next year, and how much would be increased, you know, in in subsequent years? I think they're talking about a three year agreement, and so it's it's you know it's about getting that written into the contract. But like I said, it's as much about hours of work and, uh, you know, making sure that there's some predictability. There's folks that, you know, this people may not know this, but people who go to Starbucks will know this. There's folks that work there for long periods of time, number of years, and, uh, you know, having not being able to know that they're going to get enough hours uh, to qualify for benefits, for example, or to continue to be able to, you know, pay their rent this month. Uh, is a significant issue for these folks. And so, you know, that's the issues that are on the table. Of course, there's the the annual wage increase, but but really significant issue is is uh, predictability and consistency for hours of work, um, particularly for folks who've been there for a while. Yeah. And do you have to work like a minimum number of hours or something in order to qualify for benefits? Yeah, there's a quarterly average of I think 20 hours, and and uh, you know they're they're required to be available a certain number of days a week. Uh, you know, Starbucks plugs it into an algorithm, but a you know an algorithm doesn't necessarily make sure that the folks that you know have been there for a while and have have uh, um, you know been used to a certain number of hours get get continue to get that number of hours. It just makes sure yeah. that 
they got coverage. You know, the do you, stores do got you, coverage for those hours. Is there any uh, is there any evidence, or do you suspect that maybe Starbucks would deliberately sort of manipulate people's hours to make sure they get less than twenty hours on average, so they don't have to pay the benefits? Like, is that going on? Uh, you know, I I don't know um, if 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 that's the case, but what you know, we certainly know is that you know, in the peak times, they they tend to put more people on and. Um, you know, they don't ensure the folks that have been there, you know, over a number of years or, or consistently uh, continue to, you know, get preferred shifts and, and the kind of hours that they've been getting in the past. And and that's a real challenge. And, you know, if you got somebody who's, you know, been working there for a number of years, but doesn't know that they're going to get enough hours, for example, to qualify for benefits or to be able to make their rent payments, that, that you know, that's that's a problem. And that's something that we're trying to uh, correct or fix or or move towards fixing in the collective agreement and and uh, it's important to the workers and you know they they get to decide um you know what 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 action they want to take and whether they accept the collective agreement or whether they want to you know take other action to support their um the issues that they want resolved in the collective agreement and you know we're you know we have, as the union obviously support that and uh we're going to do what we can to resolve those issues and get a contract speaking of scott lunny united steelworkers union the union union drive at Starbucks, Starbucks baristas in Surrey and Langley have taken a strike vote. They voted in favor of strike action. Okay, uh, tell me about the one in Vancouver. There was a unionized Starbucks in Vancouver that sh- that closed down. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, it, it's closing uh, in the next little while, Mike. And and uh, you know they're they're not renewing the lease at that location. Um, you know, where is that? Where is that location? Uh, on Dunbar. Dunbar. Um, Dunbar Street, yeah, in, in the on the west side there. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's a smaller cafe-style store, not a drive-through. Um, but, you know, I think um, it's unfortunate that they're not uh, not renewing the lease. Um, but, uh, you know, our effort is just to, to continue to represent those workers, make sure they get employed at other stores, make sure that there's no uh, discrimination against them for uh, having joined the union and, and, uh, and continue to do what we can for the um, the baristas that, that did, uh, you know, have said they want to be unionized. Did, did Starbucks shut that Dunbar st- a store down because they unionized? Is there any suspicion it, of that? You know, it, it's not surprising that uh, people jump to that kind of conclusion. You know, no. kind of in every organizing drive, there's there's that, uh, you know, whisper or, or sometimes threat uh, that's made. Uh, to workers, um, you know, if we had evidence of that, uh, Mike, we we would be taking that obviously to the labor board. We would be um, raising that issue. But um, you know, t- to be honest, uh, Starbucks has been kind of upfront about the fact that that lease was expiring and that there was uh, some question as to whether the the store would continue. Uh, you know, through the organizing drive and and when we were certified. So, um, you know, we're still looking at you know documentation and getting disclosure. But I don't I don't have any reason. To, to to say that that's the the reason that it was uh uh closed um there you know there's you know sufficient kind of yeah. discussion and ev- evidence that it it was it was potentially in the works anyway we're following this closely i find it very interesting scott thank you very much for coming on to talk about it today okay yeah thank you mike uh, anytime Hang up and drive Get off of that telephone You all over the road And you ain't looking where you're going All you do is yakety yak 
And you ain't looking where you're at. So, honey, hang up. Okay, hang up. Hang up and drive, like the song says. Distracted driving. All right, be aware right now. If you're behind the wheel of your vehicle at the moment and you're thinking of doing shooting out a quick text message or checking your phone, well, be careful now. This is the police are out to get you. It is a province-wide crackdown on distracted driving, and it is underway right now. Police across British Columbia, it's the fall campaign against distracted driving police will be looking for you behind the wheel of your of your car don't even touch that phone like the song says you got hang up and drive let's check in with paul doroshenko now traffic lawyer acumen law hey paul hi mike hey thanks for coming on so this is like an annual a crackdown on distracted driving is i think they're always cracking down on distracted driving right but right now it's just like a special campaign going on yeah, they do it twice a year for educational purposes, really, just to yeah. you know remind people that this is uh, this is against the law. It's dangerous, uh, and the consequences are severe. Uh, and you're you're going to get caught if you uh, if you make it a practice. You might get away with it once. You're you know you're committing a, an offense. Uh, but uh, yeah, the uh, twice a year actually they do this, and the the big one is in September when they uh, they try and crack down across the province. Having said that, I haven't seen any enforcement in Vancouver. Uh, but uh, I'm hoping it's coming. Okay, let's let's remind the listeners, Paul, like what the penalties are if you are caught using your phone behind the wheel. What what are what is the fine amount? Sure, first time out, it's a three hundred and sixty eight dollar fine. It's four demerit points on your license, so it automatically puts you in the realm of being charged driver point premium. So you pay three hundred and sixty eight dollars for the fine. Then on your birthday. Uh, you get a uh, letter from ICBC saying you got to pay two hundred and fourteen dollars um, on top of that, and uh, your insurance goes up because uh, ICBC changes that they made a few years back uh, when David Eby had that portfolio was that they were going to connect your tickets when you got beyond three points uh, to your insurance. So your insurance goes up, and everybody it's going to be different for every person. Uh, depending on the vehicle you've got and you know your driving record, where you park it, and so forth. But you can expect your insurance to go up as well. And if you get a second one, if you get a second one in uh, a two-year period, you get a, a driving prohibition issued Ooh. to you by the superintendent of motor vehicles. And, it, of course, if you're an end driver, you get that driving prohibition the first time out. Wow. Okay, those are some, that's some pretty heavy penalties there, especially the four four penalty points. That's a lot. And when you talked about that 214 bucks. Is that like a one-time hit for the That's points? It's a one-time hit, but if okay. you get more points in a, over a, a period of time, like so, say you get another ticket uh, in uh, 11 months after that one, um, then that will carry over. Um, so you can end up paying year after year uh, driver point premium. It's it's a it's sort of the, it's sort of the thing that um, people don't realize when they're thinking about disputing a ticket. Once they get that bill, after they paid that ticket, they realize, oh, this is unfolding consequences. It's not just a one-time hit. Yeah. Yeah, and when your insurance goes up, like how much does your insurance go up? Yeah, you know, that's one of those things that ICBC can't even tell you on their website. Um, You know, I I added a driver to my insurance the other day, and my insurance went down by $14, and I haven't had an accident or a ticket in over 25 years. So like it's, it's the mystery of insurance, right? Uh, there's rationale behind it, but most of the time they can't tell you how much it's going to go up until you go in there and and they give you the bill. 
but yeah, they do assess now after three points and, and up. And they're not really very clear about it on the website. They just say that they do, but I don't, you know, the formula that they're using, I don't know. Speaking of traffic lawyer Paul Doroshenko, yeah, it is a province-wide crackdown underway right now on distracted driving. How easily can people get caught, Paul? Oh, it's very easy, and it's the main reason. I'm looking out my window right now, and there's somebody committing an offense doing it right now in front <laughs> of me. Um, the, uh, and I, I saw three of them today. Um, the uh, people, you know, they stop at a set of lights, and they think they're just going to glance at their phone for a second. Uh, and they get sort of caught into it. It always takes longer than you expect. That's one of the reasons it's so dangerous when you're driving. Um, you know, if you're driving, you'll end up in another lane within two seconds. It's just because you're, 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 your mind gets sucked into that phone. Uh, but, uh, you know, people look at their phone and they sort of think that they've got privacy now. It's just the sense that we have. You think, oh, okay, I'm just me in my car. I've got privacy. Well, I, you know, I'm sitting next to the person looking at them uh, and getting their license plate number and texting it to a Vancouver police officer so they can maybe give them a phone call and remind them that they should uh, not break the law. But how many times are you sitting there beside a police officer who's off duty? Uh, you know, they can yeah. give you a ticket uh, on another day. Uh, it's just very Even when common. They're, hang, on, what, what, really hang on a sec. Even when they're off duty, they can ticket you? Oh yeah, I've, no. They they can they can send you a ticket as a registered owner. They can come show up at your work and give you a ticket. Um, we've seen it happen where police officers will see somebody committing an offense. The police officer knows the vehicle. You know, they've got the license plate number. Sometimes they know the person because they've interacted with them before, um, but uh, knows the license plate number and can uh, can come find the registered owner and issue them a ticket. Uh, there was a Vancouver police officer who's now retired. Who used to do that fairly regularly? Uh, he, you know, if he saw somebody who um, saw a vehicle and saw the person committing an offense, he'd take notes, even if it was off duty. Uh, and next time he was on duty, he was a dedicated traffic officer. He'd show up at the person's house or work and say, "Okay, here, yeah, you're getting a ticket as the registered owner of this vehicle. I saw this on such and such a date. You can dispute the ticket yeah. or you can pay the ticket." Do you think the distracted driving laws and the enforcement in British Columbia is? fair and reasonable because i often hear from people who have received a distracted driving ticket that typically it will happen at a at a red light so it's like not even when you're moving so you're sitting at that red light you know you might be tempted to take a glance at the phone and that's often where police will catch you because they're sort of don't police kind of take watch drivers very carefully while they're stopping that's the easiest way to catch someone when they're stopped right well, the point is, we're, we live in a democracy. We have a, a government that was elected. The government passes the laws. There's no hue and cry for that law to be changed. In other words, for it to be less severe punishment in those circumstances. And the idea here uh, is that they're trying to encourage people to uh, not use their phones and, and connect their phone with operating a motor vehicle at any time. And if you're using it there uh, at a set of lights, chances are you're using it somewhere else down the road. And that's the concern they've got. And that's the reason that they come down so hard. I mean, it's hard to catch somebody when they're tooling down the road. I saw somebody, you know, with their phone in their hand, a new driver this morning, driving down the road. But how often do the police see that? Not that often. It's easy to stop people and get them uh, at the intersection. And the point of getting them at the intersection is, what are you doing? You you are um, uh, trying to teach people to separate the whole idea of having their phone in their hand or engaging with their phone. Uh, at any point when they're behind the wheel. And how often are you sitting behind a car uh, and suddenly you uh, you realize that vehicle's not moving and it's because <laughs> the person's sitting there, you know, reading or sending a text message or an email. 
All right, the crackdown is underway province-wide. Police looking for distracted drivers. Paul Doroshenko is my guest. we got lots of phone calls here. Ken in Maple Ridge. Hi, Ken. Go ahead. Hey there. Um, not a super exciting one, but uh, I was just driving on Kingsway once, and I had the old phone in the uh, coffee cup, as we'll say. I wasn't even on it. It wasn't doing nothing, and the police uh, on his motorcycle creeped up along everybody and he saw it sitting in there and that's what i got and i said hey i'm not even on it you know hey and he didn't matter didn't matter got my uh, when did when did this happen yeah. i'm gonna say 2015 2016 okay okay because i know there was some go yeah go ahead well sorry yeah and, and and today it doesn't sit in a coffee cup it sits in a holder next to the coffee cup facing the same direction at me and uh, I guess that's legal. Okay, so it was in the coffee. Your phone was in the coffee cup, but it, you weren't. Even, you were not using it. You, so you didn't have no, it on speakerphone or anything like that. Okay. No, no, I was not using it. No, he Just said it's there. not even allowed to be in the coffee cup. Oh. And you know, I get all kind of grumpy about it, but you know, I just couldn't do anything about it. Okay. It. Okay. Thank you, Paul. Your thoughts? Understandable grumpiness. Those were the <laughs> coffee cup cases. Um, there was what we used to call coffee cup officers um, the, uh, who would issue them in those circumstances. The courts have looked at it and said, no, uh, it's, uh, it's fine to be in your coffee cup. You just can't be holding it is the main issue. And, uh, you know, I'm just looking out the window. There's a ni- nice white uh, Mustang convertible. Uh, driving by and the person's driving with their knee and texting with both hands pulling up to the four-way stop. Uh, no. Um, they're not no. listening to the show, obviously, but everybody else is <laughs> oh, no. listening to the show. No, I just there was just a white Porsche Cayenne, same thing. That was the phone in the right hand. Uh, white, uh, you know, going down seventh here. Uh, wow. this, is, uh, this is a chronic problem, and that's the reason that we've got the crackdown. But the coffee cup, you know, you, you wish you had uh, disputed it. Uh, ultimately, it was resolved in uh, B.C. Supreme Court. There's no problem with that. And Cash Heed, who is the one who was uh, heavily involved in writing this legislation, said, look, our, our intention was never to get people uh, for having a phone even sitting on the passenger seat. You know, the idea is to keep it from people's hands. Right. Um, and that was, that's the intention of it. And that's the way the court interpreted it, ultimately. Yeah. Arthur in Kamloops. Hi, Arthur. Go ahead. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Uh, sure. Quality of driving is terrible. Lack of enforcement is worse. Uh, so what is the definition of distracted driving? Is it just the cell phone or is it frou-frou dog laying on the driver's lap with the head out the window and the driver got a Big Mac in the other hand? Yeah, good question, Paul. Yeah, uh, it's unfortunate that they use the term distracted driving. Um, and they use it in a, in a way that really confuses the public uh, because there is no offense of distracted driving in this province. And they lump together statistics to try and, and uh, scare people, I guess, on the, on the accidents and deaths. Uh, most of the accidents where it's really significant are people who are driving without due care and attention. Um, and those are the ones that are lumped in and they call it a distracted driving case. Certainly, if you're driving along, driving with your knee, with your dog on your lap, eating a Big Mac, you're not showing uh, care and attention to your obligations as a driver or other people on the road. That's a serious ticket. Uh, it's six demerits, uh, six penalty points, so it triggers a 
significant driver uh, driver point premium, and it's again three hundred sixty eight dollars is the starting point. And some of those okay. tickets can go higher, right? You can go up to two thousand dollars under the Offense Act if the police Whoa. are looking at it and saying this is egregious and they want to ticket it differently. Wow, Blair in West Vancouver. Hi, Blair. Go ahead. Hey guys. Yeah, I agree. You know, driving uh, down Georgia Street, texting and eating Big Macs and all that's a bad thing, and people deserve tickets for that. But I do think that stopped at a stoplight or a stop sign or on a side street uh, where you're not moving and somebody looking at their their text is perfectly fine by me. Uh, you know, odd, the odd time I have to give them a toot to get them moving, but uh, I, I'm okay with that. I don't think there's been a lot of death and destruction at stop signs because of cell phones. My two cents. Th- thank you, Paul. What do you think of that? Well, I just walked, watched a guy in a white Toyota Corolla with a phone in his right hand, and he just went right through, clear sail through a four-way stop here on the corner. Wow! Um, you know, this is the this is the problem. We're we're trying to encourage people to not you know put themselves in that situation where they're distracted by their phone. That guy could have run over a pedestrian. Uh, this is something that is a, just a common occurrence. And you, of course, can pull over and be parked in your car, put the thing in park in a parking spot and check your text messages and check your email and do all of that. But if you're in your car and your duty is to be a driver, then you're supposed to focus on your duty to be a driver. And as the previous caller uh, made the point, um, you know, this is a significant, serious duty. You're pushing around tons of steel and glass. Uh, in uh, at, 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 at high speeds, low speeds, it doesn't really matter. You can do significant injury to a body uh, yeah. or, or to somebody else. And you can kill somebody just by an inadvertent mistake or, you know, cause bodily harm or something along that line. I mean, it's, it's, there is the risk. Uh, the government passed the legislation. We're all required to abide by the law. Paul, thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Let's talk about the big shakeup in BC politics now. Bruce Banman, the MLA for Abbotsford South, formerly with the BC United Party, that's the new name of the BC Liberals, has joined the BC Conservative Party. And Bruce Banman joins me now. Bruce, thank you for coming on. Well, thank you for having me, Mike. Yeah, I appreciate it. And Bruce, the last time you were on the show, you were a member of the BC United Party. Now you're a member of the BC Conservative Party. Why did you make the switch? Well, I guess technically I've been a member of three parties, Liberal, then United, and now Conservative. Um, So I I made the switch, Mike. I spent the time over the summer uh, to reflect. And, um, you know, basically, if you'll allow me, my grandparents escaped... Uh, from the Russian Revolution, uh, not far from where the bombs went back into Ukraine now, currently. And um, Canada opened up its arms to them, and they were always appreciative that they were allowed to come here, worship the way they saw fit, to instill the values that they had uh, to their children, and most importantly, have the ability to uh, to speak freely. And I remember sitting around the table and the, and the debates around the table politically were actually quite diverse. But they had the luxury and the privilege to say what they wanted to say. And what I was finding was is that I did not have that privilege and I was unable to be an advocate on behalf of those who elected me. And, it's, and in this writing, 
you know, let, let's go over who came to this country and that the majority in this writing. I have the Dutch who do a lot of the dairy farming that uh, many of them were underneath occupied Germany, or Nazi, the Nazis when they were occupied in, in Holland, in the Netherlands. Uh, wow. We have uh, those from Punjab who also know their fair share of being uh, persecuted. And then, and then the Mennonites that were here as well. And I kept hearing from people that I was not speaking up on the issues that we have in this riding in the way that they thought I should. And unfortunately, a lot of, what a lot of people don't understand is we have what is called whipped votes. Um, and there was one particular vote um, where it, it really wasn't even a legislative vote. And um, I was told, if you are not in favor of this vote, uh, you must leave the building. You, are, you cannot vote against it. And I just kept going back to that, and um, I was humiliated. And, and I will say, when I thought about my grandparents, I was also ashamed that I did not speak up on behalf of those in this community that wanted me to speak up on that particular issue. And which, which, is, which issue? That's just one hey, example. Bruce, which issue was that? Which vote are you talking about there? Um, that was the divisive, um, hurtful vote, the, the wedge politics, the, the NDP put in that had to do with the convoy and um, and how the pandemic was handled. And, it, and the issue of what was in the vote is not what's important. What's important is, is that, on, on, and it wasn't even legislative. This it had no legislative powers. We might as well have been yeah. voting on, isn't the sky beautiful today? But that I was told, if I do not tout party line and vote along the lines that the only alternative I had was to leave the building and make sure I wasn't there when the vote took place. And I, it, it just, to this day, I wished I had had the courage to stand in there and actually stand up and vote against it. Um, let me read a, and, let me, yeah, let, let me read a comment for you, Bruce, from your former leader, Kevin Falcon, who's the, the leader of BC United. He put out a statement here a short time ago, and he says your departure was not entirely unexpected due to ongoing internal management challenges with Bruce. What is he talking about there? Um, you know, I'm not exactly sure what he's talking about, but of course, you know, that sounds like typical damage control and spin that's being done. Um, so I, I really, I really don't know. You'd have to ask him for the specifics on that. I, I, I really don't know. Was I, well, you know, when I first got elected, I was told that caucus was a safe place, this place to, to, to talk about your issues. I guess maybe he doesn't think so, if that's the case. Um, when it came to following uh, what was asked of me, I did that. Uh, did I speak my piece? Absolutely. That's what you're supposed to do. But did I, did I, did I follow what was asked of me? I, I did every single time. Um, but I, I think that what's, uh, what's refreshing about the Conservative Party of British Columbia is that John Rustad has promised that we will be able to advocate on behalf of local issues. And the province of British Columbia is huge. I mean, we've got all kinds of different issues in different areas um, and different concerns. And um, I think that what I, I really think that what's at the heart of this is that, you know, not just British Columbians, but people all over the world are wanting to elect officials that will actually stand up and speak on behalf of their concerns. Right. And I increasingly found myself at a difficulty doing that. And I was not allowed to speak unfettered 
um, because it may offend a certain area over here. Or it was almost like it was whatever the political winds were blowing. That was what was being cons- what was being thought of more than the actual concerns of it that were exist in my writing and in other writing. What, what do you? I, s- I just. Yes, sir. What, what do you, Bruce? What do you say to the people of Abbotsford here? Just reading further from the statement put out by your former leader, Kevin Falcon, he said Bruce's decision betrays the Abbotsford constituents who elected him as a member of BC United. What do you say to the Abbotsford voters here who voted for you when you were a member of another party? Well, that party doesn't even exist anymore. The BC Liberal Party does not exist. It is a totally new party. It's the BC United Party. Well, it's got a new so, name. Um, well, it's but but it, but the name got changed, oh. um, and so it, it you know that party no longer exists. First off, but and I understand how some will feel that way, but I have also had an outpouring of support uh, today. Uh, my phone has been going nuts by people that say, "Finally, finally, someone is going to speak up on on their behalf with unfettered, uh, without being gagged." and be able to say what we want you to advocate for. And um, I'm getting tons of encouragement as well. Will there be those that are upset? Yes, I heard there was a caller on earlier that, that yes. felt that way. Um, and, and, of course, the leader of, uh, of, of, of the BC United Party is going to say that. They're going to try and paint me in all kinds of disparaging ways, I'm sure. That's, uh, that's the dirtiness of politics. But okay. what is pure to me is I had to get up and look in the mirror and say, you know what? I did my job on behalf of those who voted for me and elected me today. I spoke up about their concerns, and I found that increasingly difficult to do. And I reflect, again, to my grandparents and those discussions that we had around the dinner table where controversy was actually encouraged because that is the hallmark of democracy. You know, we call it a parliament for a reason, because you parlay, you, you speak in there, and you debate. And if all we're going to do is take stick our finger in the in the air and do what what direction is the political wind blowing this day? That was not being true to those that elected me, and and right. and so I, I would say that in response. I'm speaking to Bruce Banman, now the BC Conservative MLA in Abbotsford. He just joined the Conservative Party. What has been the reaction from your your former colleagues in the in the BC United Party, Bruce? And is there a possibility that any other BC United MLAs might might do the same as you and join the join the Conservatives? Well, I don't imagine I'm going to be on the Christmas list coming up shortly for some of them. Let's face it. I mean, um, they, of course they're going to be upset, um, but there are others, and I'll let them speak for themselves. I'm not the only one that is shown uh, increasing. Uh, discontent uh, within the party. Um, I'm not alone in that. But I will let them speak for themselves, and I don't want to put words in their mouth. What do you say to someone who would say, look, you're just going to help the NDP here, and I'm sure there are people in the New Democrats who are very, very pleased to see you do this, because it could create a a vote split here on the right and just allow the NDP to get more easily re-elected. Respectfully, that lies at the feet of Kevin Falcon. Early on, when John Rustad spoke up about concerns in his writing, which are different than the concerns of, say, Metro Vancouver, because it, it, it is predominantly um, re- ranching and logging and, 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 and uh, a much more rural constituent. When he started speaking up, Kevin told him, you either toe the line or out you go, and out he went. That decision 
Uh, you know, Kevin said that we are a big tent party. I guess maybe not so big, huh? Uh, because if John's views were, were, were to be dismissed and John was ejected from the party as a result, that yeah. said loud and clear to me, keep your head down, shut your mouth, or out you go. And uh, that decision of the split on the right, that is 100% on Kevin's shoulders. He's the one that made that call. I now find myself in a position where I need to speak out on behalf of my constituents. And this party has promised that I will be able to do that unfettered. And again, I go back to that is the hallmark of democracy. And yeah. I believe that's what British Columbians are looking for, is when they elect an official, that that official speaks up about their local concerns and doesn't just vote uh, on what's politically convenient or correct. What, what are the issues, like you mentioned that you, you felt you were muzzled, you were unable to speak out. What are the issues specifically that you wanted to speak out on that you felt you were unable to with BC United? Uh, it, it, there was, you know, it would take a while for me to go through that and i don't think it's worth worth hashing through those in it because that just takes us down rabbit holes i go back to the foundation of democracy is when you elect an official and i sat around a municipal table um, as a mayor and those particular individuals around that table there was all kinds of diverging opinions that came out well give me one give me give me one bruce give me one issue that you felt you couldn't speak on I gave you the one, the vote where I was told either vote for it or get out of the building. Uh, on the on the convoy, the protest convoy in Ottawa, yeah. and, and right? It's, and it's you, su- about, you supported you supported the trucker you supported the trucker convoy, and you wanted to speak out. Is that correct? No, I support I support people's ability to go and speak their minds, um, yeah. and I that's what I supported. Um, there are I don't support a hundred percent, and I also thought I saw that vote for what it was, which was nothing but the visionary politics that the NDP put in there just to drive a wedge uh, in, into the right. And, and in my opinion, we fell for it. I think we should have stood up and said, you know what, we are not participating in this kind of shenanigans. This house is better than that. And unfortunately, we did not. It had nothing, it, it don't, again, that's why I don't want to go down these rabbit holes. Um, yeah. There are those that, that support that strongly. They have a right to. I may not always agree with what people say, but I defend their right to say it. That's the hallmark of democracy. And I believe that these whipped votes and whipped politics are the, are the reason why people are becoming disillusioned. And, uh, and, and so for me, I, I go back to, you know, my grandparents escaped tyranny and Bruce, came thank you to for, freedom. Thank you for coming on today. I'm, I'm grateful to you for that. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. You have a good day. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.